Latino. Now back to unnecessary roughness with your boy Q. I'ma let that ride. I'ma just let that ride. Anytime we got a an intro like that, you know it can only mean one thing. Paul Gutierrez from ESPN is joining the show. How about that one for you, Paul? <laughs> I, I think we may have found one. I mean, I think we found the keeper. I'm not sure. That's a good one. I like that one. That was well done. <laughs> good job, Damon. Good job, Paul. And we'll start off with this text we got from Keith out of Sonora. He said, if one jersey gets retired, it should be number 81, Tim Brown, the greatest Ra- Raider player ever. He had he never had a quarterback until Gannon, who had number 12, that should be retired, but for the great Stabler. And, Paul, let's start off with the jersey numbers because you've covered yeah. some really good Raider teams. You've been around the organization a long time, and they don't retire numbers. Do you think there's anything that they should do to kind of provide like a buffer period, or is it just, hey, the team is always going to be bigger than the player that wore the number? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those weird things, right, where in college you have certain college teams, college basketball especially, where they don't put the players' last names on the back because they're playing for the school on the front rather than the player on the back. But but the NFL, you know, professional sports, it's more so, uh, you know, about the individual player. You're not just rooting for laundry, you know, in some cases. So, I don't know. It's tough, and I know where this is all coming from, and it's something that actually surprised me that this many people are this upset about number four being used so soon after. And I guess if you put yourself in that mindset, if you're really that big of a fan of Derek Carr, so to speak, then it will kind of rub you the wrong way because you're already going to think, okay, hey, they're just trying to stick his nose in it now by letting a rookie uh, take that number. And yet at the end of the day, uh, not too many people said anything when Jonathan Abram was rocking 24, right? Right. Uh, I mean, when Marshawn Lynch came and he's wearing 24, everybody's kind of like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. That's a special number. That's Seawood. That's Willie Brown. And yet, you know, he basically got like this dispensation from those guys to be able to wear it. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know if there should be a buffer period, but but there should be some, some sort of honor honorarium or something like that to, to make sense of it all. But, I just don't know if number four is the one that really should get people that upset about it. I mean, it's just kind of strange. I mean, you look in baseball, the Dodgers, they're finally going to retire Fernando Valenzuela's number uh, this this summer. Right. And nobody has worn that number since uh, he last pitched for them in 1990. Wow. In spring training in 91. And that was a specific decision by the clubby who was in charge of passing out the numbers. So it's just a very bizarre thing, especially when you've got so many numbers. The Raiders don't retire numbers. Um, I know I'm just kind of rambling on here, but I'm just kind of blown away that this many people are that upset over this. I, I was too, Paul. I mean, I, I just sat back and observed all weekend long. I didn't say a thing on Twitter. I didn't say anything. I did a podcast about it today, but it was just kind of like I didn't know that there was going to be so much reaction. And I was like that with 24. When they handed it to Jonathan Abram, I was like, yeah. eh, I don't know. But only because Seawood is my favorite Raider. So I, I just kind of yeah. looked at it like that. But I mean, that's what they do, right? I mean, teams just roll out numbers, and you've got to go build your own legacy in it. No doubt. And then if you want, you know, like the the text or the emailer told you, you know, 81 should be retired. I'm like, okay, I I, I suppose, but doesn't have, you know, he's in the Hall of Fame and and no disrespect whatsoever. And you hate when somebody says that because as soon as they say that, they're about to disrespect the hell out of (laughs) something. But, but, I mean, to me, I look at 32. That's Marcus Allen. That was my guy growing up. Mm -hmm. Or 16, Plunkett. Yep. Uh, 12, Ken Stabler. Uh, I mean, you know, and then Rich Cannon wore it, too. So mm-hmm. it's just one of those weird things where you make your own identity and your own number, and yep. you just kind of roll with it from there. And as a kid, my favorite number was always number nine for no reason, other than I just like the way number nine looked. 
Well, there you go, Tyree Wilson. How about that? How about Tyree Wilson, the big DN, <laughs> rocking your favorite single digit, number nine? That's going to be fun watching that. And, that, again, it's one of those things where, you know, you and I are old school enough to where we remember we're on the only certain positions where certain numbers. I'm, I'm, yep. I'm, I'm kind of liking the guys can wear. And, and, really, if you're going to retire one number that nobody should ever wear again, it's probably that guy who looks like the Raider logo himself, double zero, Jim Otto. Man, we had uh, our guy Raider X called in and said that exact thing. He said if there's one dude yeah. that, that uh, you know, shows what a Raider is and who a Raider was, that was Jim Otto, double zero. So there you go, Paul. You're on the same page with Raider X again. Paul Gutierrez from ESPN is our guest here on Raider Nation Radio 920. DeMond's got one for you. Yeah, I know that you're happy about Aiden O'Connell getting number four, seeing as you were one of D.C.'s <laughs> biggest hitters. I'm kidding. Jeez. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I just had to come out of man. Yo, so yeah, I mean, jeez. Okay, Got to keep yeah. it real. Okay. But Latino Heat, I do have this question for you. When the OTAs <laughs> finally do get started, what are you expecting to see from the young guys for the Raiders? Because you know, didn't have that access to see them in rookie minicamps. But what are you expecting to see them? I know it's only going to be in shirts and shorts, though. Yeah, I'm just looking forward to seeing these guys in their in their uniforms and see what they look like out there. And beyond that, taking taking um, taking role really to see who's there and to see who's not there probably more importantly because you know I want to see is Josh Jacobs there because it is voluntary. Right. And, you know, he still has yet to sign his, his uh, franchise tag. So, okay, is he going to be there? You know, he wasn't there last year. So is it a story yet? Don't know. But if he's there, then it's, you know, maybe it means everything's okay. Uh, you know, is Tyree Wilson going to be out there running around on that surgically repaired foot? We'll, we'll see. What does Jimmy Garoppolo actually look like in silver and black when he's out there? And, and what about Devontae Adams, who, you know, the one thing about Devontae, there's no doubt in my mind anyway that he's the best receiver in the league. But something that really appeals to a lot of people is that he's not your stereotypical prima donna look-at-me receiver where, you, you know, he's you're honest. And then yet a lot of the things he said in the past, he's just kind of, huh, what's really cooking? What's, what's going on over there? Is he trying to force something? Is he unhappy? Or is he just trying to just stay relevant? He doesn't need to. I mean, he's still the best receiver in the game. It's just, again, is he going to be there? And, and what, what's going on with him? So I'm looking forward to seeing who's out there taking role, but then also – uh, seeing who Will Kiss blesses us with their presence <laughs> the because it's not going to be an open locker room, obviously, until we get to, down to 53 men in, uh, in training camp. No doubt. You said with Josh Jacobs that, you know, maybe it wouldn't be a story just yet if he's not out there when it's, when it's finally time because it's only voluntary. But around which date would it say, hey, that per- your ears perk up a little bit, now it needs to be a story that Josh Jacobs isn't out there? Uh, mandatory minicamp simply because it's mandatory, you know, and, and if you're not out there, then you're incurring some fines. Um, if he is in the building, though, and he's got a, ooh, my back kind of twins a little bit, okay, well, then that's kind of what we saw with Darren Waller last year, right, when he mm-hmm. had that mystery ailment that uh, suddenly healed up when he got that contract extension. Right. He was holding out. He was holding in, so to speak. So that, that to me, is when, when with Josh Jacobs, you start, it becomes, to my, in my mind, and my editors might tell me it's something different, so I have to read something beforehand. Um is it a story if he's not there for mandatory minicamp? In my opinion, it is. And you just kind of go from there. Um, you know, you still have the July 15th deadline, which is, you know, going to be about two weeks before they actually report for training camp for him to actually sign his franchise tender. And, and like, like uh, Ziegler said all along, they want to sign something long-term with him as long as it makes sense for both him and for the player. So we'll, we'll figure that out as we get there, I guess. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Again, Paul Gutierrez is our guest here on Radio Nation Radio 920, Unnecessary Roughness. Now, I wanted to ask you a couple questions about the owners' meetings going on in Minnesota. They approved Thursday night football being able to be flexed. That obviously could affect the Raiders in Week 15 when they host the Chargers. What are your thoughts on that? I know I know, Mark Davis is not a big fan of it at all. 
I like this quote uh, that he gave out there to somebody where he said, yep. you know, it, it's hard on the fans because, you know, you got all these Raider fans that are possibly coming into town. And he said, what about the three Charger fans that might actually be coming? <laughs> so <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it, it's tough not only on the fans, but, but the players, too. Players are not really big fans of Thursday Night Football, those quick turnarounds. Right. And I know for the, the reporters that cover it, it's kind of like a mini buy for us because we get that weekend, quote unquote, off unless something crazy happens on a Thursday night. But I, I don't like it, and it just seems to me a little greedy. Mm-hmm. And I, I just really do wonder what the Players Association feels about it. The fact that the Raiders voted against it, uh, and they're one of eight teams to vote against it, tells me a lot about it, too. It's not this, hey, all for one and one for all uh, in terms of going on Thursday night. It, it's a really strange thing. Because on the flip side of that coin, the Raiders are playing, what, is it six or is it eight teams that are going to be coming off of Monday Night Football? Yes, yeah, so six. Vegas for some reason, yep. yeah, they, they get teams that are coming off short weeks, and that's not something that uh, the conspiracy theorists really saw coming either in their crystal ball. So it all evens out. It all comes out in the wash. And, again, it's, it's what, May 22nd? We've right. got a lot of time before they start playing things that, that really – count but the Thursday night thing is very bizarre to me yeah no it is and I'm not a big fan of it clearly Mark Davis isn't I don't think anyone's really a big fan of it at all except for the NFL they just kind of do what they do also coming out of those meetings is the fact that Santa Clara uh, was awarded the 2026 Super Bowl and it's so funny because they're talking about well San Francisco's getting it well we all know it's in Santa Clara that's a great America uh, I'm not a big fan of it being out there the last time it was there for Super Bowl 50 it seemed like it took forever to get there it was just I don't know you know I mean you're a Bay Area native it's just out there in the out there, right? So, what are, what are your thoughts on Santa Clara getting Super Bowl t- or twenty twenty six? Well, that's where you and I, besides being old men, uh, you know, I like the fact that you said Santa Clara is getting the Super Bowl because that's the first thing I tweeted. Hey, look, Santa Clara is getting another Super Bowl. Yep. You see downtown San Jose from the press box there. You don't see San Francisco, right? And that's not the hate on anything. It, it, it's it is what it is. Um, all I know is that Beyonce overshadowed Coldplay. At yep. halftime, because it's one of the most boring Super Bowls ever. Uh, even if Cam was there and it was Peyton Manning walk off, and I don't know, man, it's just so far away. It takes forever to get out there. It's a nice stadium, but it, I'll tell you this: for for late January, early February, and I'm sitting outdoors in the auxiliary press box. Uh, it's one of the only times I probably got sunburned in, in uh, February because that place is hot, and uh, <laughs> right. you know, they build it in the parking lot of, of the, the amusement park. Yep. I don't know, but but I'm not going to hate the fact that it's on the West Coast again either. So you know, that's I'm all true. For that. No, you're right about that. It's another drivable for us. So there you go. We're we're yeah. uh, we're all good to go for there. Uh, also, how about the emergency quarterback? Uh, obviously, this comes from the San Francisco 49ers and Eagles in the playoffs, and the 49ers got every single one of their quarterbacks injured, as they often do. So they changed the rule. Now you can have that emergency quarterback. Do you think that that'll be Aiden O'Connell, or do you think that'll be Brian Hoyer? <laughs> Right now, I'd say Brian Hoyer, simply because he's already he's got knowledge in the system, right? He, yep. he knows what it is. And, and, and we actually had to do a, an assignment for that for, for ESPN.com, 32 for 32. Nice. Where does a guy that was either drafted or signed as an undrafted rookie, where, where do they fit in the picture? And, and I always battle with those at this point in time. I'm like, look, they haven't even – they just got done with rookie minicamp, which we didn't see. Right. Um, they, they're getting ready to start OTAs, and today was day one, and we haven't seen anything yet. So where do you think he figures in? And to me, right here, right now, he's probably battling Chase Garbers for that last spot. Right. But when you apply the fact that they use the draft choice on it, no, they're not going to get it in. You know, so it's going to be interesting to see how quickly he picks up the offense. You know, right again, on May 22nd, Brian Hoyer, I'm sure Josh McDaniels has a lot more trust in him 
uh, coming in at that point. But, but uh, again, that's what the offseason and the offseason workouts and training camp and everything else is for. When it comes to some of the things that the owners are voting on, something that got pushed back to tomorrow is the fair catch. If you fair catch a kickoff, you'll just get the ball Stupid. at the 25-yard line. Paul, Stupid. we know Q's thoughts. What do you <laughs> think about that? It seems to me that Q was a returner in high school. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm going to guess. <laughs> he was trying to break off a 95-yarder. Right. Um, I don't know, man. If you're going to fair catch it, then you should get the ball where it is. Exactly. That just makes the sense to me. Or take a chance at letting it hit the ground and roll in the end zone or letting the other team jump on it. That, to me, creates a little more excitement. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, I, And I get not wanting the high-impact collisions from the safety aspect, but I also get wanting the high-impact collisions from right. the entertainment aspect. If you're going to go for a fair catch on a kickoff, to me, that ball should be spotted exactly where it is, the same way for a punt. Right. I mean, it, it just doesn't make any sense. You're taking the skill out of the kicker, right? I mean, because that, that's the yeah. actual kick is is angling it to a certain spot where you have to return it. Now you're giving them a, a free-for-all to get 25 yards just like in college. Like, this ain't college, man. You didn't graduate. It's the yeah. NFL. It's the same thing. Like, what would Ray Guy have said? What, what, you know, what will A.J. Cole say if he's got a perfectly placed coffin corner? Now the skill is on the returner to get himself in that coffin corner catch it inside the one-yard line, and gain 24 yards by simply right. catching it. Exactly. That, exactly. to me, does not seem fair. No, it's not. It's the dumbest thing ever, and I hope that they all say no on it, but <laughs> who knows what's going to happen. But that's one that I'm very obviously very passionate about, and I just think it's – I don't know. I don't like it in high school. I don't like it in college. I sure ain't going to like it in the NFL. Well, Paul, fantastic stuff, man. It'll be great to see you on Thursday down at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center when we finally get to see a little bit of action from the silver and black. Uh, you mentioned the, the 32, what you guys are working on, ESPN. What do you got working on that, that we should be able to look out for? Yeah, looking forward to being down there, and that's really what I'm doing. A little bit, I'm, I'm going to play a little DB. Uh, nice. I'm going to read and react. I'm going to see what I see, and then I'm going to react, and I'm going to write on that. And that's uh, I was able to convince my editor that I could do that on deadline, so, <laughs> so that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Whatever I see happen, I want to see Devontae Adams at the podium. I want to see what exactly he's meant by all these kind of conflicting messages he's been sending out over the past week. And, you know, and if Josh Jacobs is there, even better. So it, it's going to be a lot of reading and reacting and, and just kind of making sense of where are we right now at the beginning of OTAs? I like it. I like it. Well, you know what I say. DBs win games, so you're in a you're in a good spot right there. You're gonna win uh, coming up on Thursday, man. Great stuff. I appreciate you making some time for us this afternoon. I'll see you on Thursday. Sounds good, guys. See you then. All right, my man. There he goes, Paul Gutierrez from ESPN. Fantastic job. Definitely appreciate him at P Gutierrez ESPN on Twitter. And yeah, Thursday we'll be out there to be able to see a little something, something, uh, talk to coach, I believe in the morning and then go from there. So that should be uh, a lot of fun to get our first little taste test of what's going on with the Raiders and particularly their draft class. And of course the veterans that they have are coming back as well. 316 is the time. We'll take a quick break, get back to your calls and text. Want to know about your favorite Jersey numbers? Who does it represent? And since the Raiders don't retire numbers, what do you think they should do with recognizable numbers like four, like 24, like, well, double zero, even though that one's not out there, but just those record by the 32s 34 what do you think about those numbers 702-365-9200 also 69187 keyword rnr the text line this is radio nation radio 920 the judge lester hayes joining us now that's why q of course our team kept winning kept winning q because of our training you got to put in the work and the time and the perseverance and the patience to train your body and train your brain. 
Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Unnecessary Roughness. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Here's your boy Q. The great number 37 right there, Lester Hayes. Train your body and train your brain. Here on Unnecessary Roughness, Raider Nation Radio 920. DeMond Cotton behind the wheels of steel. Your boy Q at the home studio. Of course, DeMond is in the Finley Cadillac performance studio. We've been talking about jersey numbers coming up in just a few minutes. Patrick Walker, he's going to join the show to talk about his new podcast he's got coming out. The conversation, mental health awareness, something that every single one of us can look in the mirror and realize that we probably need a little bit of mental health awareness or a little touch-up on our mental health at times. So uh, Patrick Walker joins us in a matter of minutes. Very excited about that conversation. But we have been talking about jersey numbers. What's your favorite jersey number? Who does it represent? Like Vegas just said, Lester Hayes, 37 was his number. Mailman Raider said, Q, I'm 30. I didn't see those 70s and 80s teams, so the only numbers I really think of for me is 24, 81, 9, and 11. Obviously, he's talking about C. Wood, Tim Brown, Shane Leckler, and Sebastian Janikowski. He said 3 and 13 were always my numbers, but I also really liked the number 5. I was a big Bron Davis guy during the We Believe years. Still remember that dunk on Karolinko like it was yesterday. And, yeah, I remember that as well. Mailman Raider, thanks so much for that text. I do appreciate you. And that's the thing about it. Depending on your age, some of these numbers might not mean anything to you. 24, 81, obviously those numbers are iconic. 9 and 11, DeMond said, hey, I had to look it up. I had to look it up to see who that was. Shane Leckler and Sebastian Janikowski, those are that number. 707 said, my favorite number has been 75. I love Howie and his difference making in the games. I've raced pro motocross and drove in the fair demolition derby circuit for years, and I've always made sure my race bikes, my race bikes or the side doors of my cars sported the number 75. Thanks for that text. Do appreciate you. And see, that's the thing about it, man. Numbers like that, like he has it on his race car now. That's cool. That's like I said, that's going back to what I used to do with 24 in my pager code. Like that was my number, 24. Whenever someone said pick a number between 1 and 50, it's always 24. It was That was always, you could always guess what my number was going to be. It was always representing Ricky Henderson and that number 24. So we want to hear from you. Again, 702-365-9200. I know this guy's got some history with us. How about Raider 66? Welcome to the show. What's on your Mind, brother. Hey, good morning, guys. How you doing? Oh, fantastic. Great, great, great. Oh, yeah, I love this uh, this thing, and I, I think that uh, you know retiring numbers is just crazy. Uh, it should not be done, especially in football. When you consider that that each position only has a certain number of numbers that they can use, yeah, and you start retiring them. If you've got a team like the Raiders that has all these great players, you got no numbers left. Right. Crying life, you got you got ninety people in the you know training camp. Mm-hmm. But uh, but my my favorite number and and the double O auto uh, is kind of retired because the NFL doesn't let you have the double O anymore. They just right. opened up the the single zero. But my number is and I go back to uh, this past weekend where the great Jim Brown passed away, number mm-hmm. thirty two with uh, Marcus Allen. But uh, you know they use the 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 term goat a lot. And for all of the young people that that didn't get to see Jim Brown play, oh my God, put on the highlight. His runs were highlights. This guy played nine years, led the league in rushing eight of those nine years, and in only playing nine years, he won three MVP awards. Right. He won one as a rookie. And, and, of course, my favorite 32 with the Raiders is Marcus Allen. I mean, that guy, you give him 18 inches of daylight to, to quote uh, the great Gale Sayers, he, he's open. And, and they don't dive over the top anymore like he did at the goal line. I mean, yeah. he scored so many touchdowns by doing that. But – to just think about this. In 1982, we drafted Marcus. Mm-hmm. It was a uh, strike-shortened year, so they only played nine games. He led the league as a rookie in uh, scrimmage yards. He led the league in touchdowns. 
and did not win the MVP. They gave it to a kicker. <laughs> a kicker for the Redskins. That's the first time a kicker's ever won the MVP. It's stupid. But part of the reason was because of Al Davis and the Raiders that just sued the NFL and got the right to play in Los Angeles. So they weren't going to give him the MVP. But had he done it, he would be the only player ever to win the Heisman Trophy his senior year in, in college and the MVP in the NFL in uh, his rookie season. Uh, you guys, thanks for the topic. I love it. Have a great day. Go Raiders. I appreciate the call. 66, good stuff, good knowledge right there. I didn't really uh, realize that right there, that he would have been the first player to, to ever, or the only player to ever do that uh, in the league history to get that uh, Heisman and then all of a sudden turn around and win the MVP the very next year. Good stuff. Do appreciate that. Let's squeeze one more call in. How about Ruben in Vegas? What's on your mind? Welcome to the show. Hey, Q. I don't have brain freeze. It's Q. Q and Demond. What up? What up? No, really quick. Uh, 81, that was my jersey growing up. I had, my mom bought it for me from the flea market. Nice. I wore that thing till the iron stuff, like the peeled off, the numbers being peeled <laughs> off. You know, that one. And then my other one, really quick, I'm a Spurs fan. I had a white David Robinson champion jersey. I wore that thing till it went yellow, and the numbers peeled off also. No Raiders, <laughs> no Raiders. Hey, great call, Ruben. Appreciate you right there, my man. Good stuff. He said 81. He wore that thing till the wheels fell off of it, and he did the same thing with his Spurs jersey. David Robinson, the Admiral. Shout out to the Admiral. Good stuff. Good stuff. Keep those texts coming at 69187, keyword R&R. Thoughts on your favorite jersey number? Who does it represent? Mine is 24. It will always be 24 for the great Ricky Henderson. Obviously, when it comes to the Raiders, it was Charles Woodson for me as well. But since the Raiders don't retire numbers what do you think they should do with certain numbers i think 66 brought up a great point they have so many great players you can't retire numbers if you retire numbers then there wouldn't be there'd hardly be any numbers to pick from the raiders have that deep of a history so i'd like to see them start establishing some great numbers in the present time as well again they have a lot of great history they need to start establishing the present but uh 69187 keyword r coming up next patrick walker he joins the show it's radio nation radio 920 now back to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q on Raider Nation Radio. Jim from Yonkers hit us up, said number 16. Jim Plunkett, biggest comeback story in sports. I may be a little biased. He belongs in the Hall of Fame. He's the son of blind parents, and I was diagnosed 12 years ago with an eye disease which created legal blindness, so I've done a lot of research about Plunkett. He was not affected. First live game, December 20th, 21st, 1980. I was 13, and my dad took me to the Meadowlands. Raiders beat the Giants and won the Super Bowl that season. Basketball, number 21, Jimmy Black, Tar Heel point guard. Uh, Jimmy Black, Tar Heel point guard, 82 champs. I always had to wear number 21. My dad coached him in high school. Thank you for mentioning mental health. I'm sure both of you realize that this show is a form of positive therapy as a bridge to get to the next season. What I like about the show is it's honesty and realness plus the laughs. You can agree to disagree. People have to have positive outlets in life, whether it's to be this show or anything else that has a positive effect. The Possum Show was a classic, LOL. Thank you for a great show. That's Jim from Yonkers. A couple good numbers right there, 16 and 21. Really good stuff. And, uh, yeah, man, when it comes to, like, mental health and everything, I have to admit I haven't been somebody that has been so focused and keyed in on mental health as until as of late. I would say, like, the last few months, it's really been something that I've been thinking more and more about and really kind of being more aware of. And you're absolutely right about, you know, this show or any other show, a radio show could really help kind of clear your mind from whatever may be going on in your life. And I, I remember going back to the pandemic when I was in Central Texas, and, like, I never missed a day of work. And I remember telling my dad one time, I said, I guess, I guess they're considering us essential workers. And he's like, well, you absolutely are. Like, people tune in to you to – listen and and clear their mind from what's going on especially with everything going on with the pandemic so you really are so when that happened back in 2020 it kind of really made me open my eyes to realize that yeah 
this is more than just, you know, fun and games and information, but sometimes this could be an outlet for people that just, you know, want to turn to, you know, listen to the show and just have a couple hours of, of entertainment. And so if I could help provide that, if DeMond could help provide that, or Raider Nation Radio, period, could help provide that, we definitely will. And we'll do the best we can to the best of our ability each and every day. And so I definitely appreciate that, Jim. Thanks for sharing your story with us as well. I uh, got a couple more texts as we're efforting Patrick Walker from Cowboys.com, Voice of the Star on Twitter. But he's going to join us to talk about his podcast, the conversation that is all about mental health. Uh, let's see. How about one text here from Sir Whiskey Ray, Q&D, loving the jersey topic today. My favorite jer- jersey numbers of all time, 32, 8, 24, and 99. I've all, I always affiliate these numbers with Magic, John- Magic Johnson, excuse me, Marcus Allen, Ricky Henderson, Kobe, and the great one, Wayne Gretzky. All great players and guys who I'd love to watch play. That's Sir Whiskey Ray. And yeah, that's that's a group of good guys right there, right? Marcus Allen. Uh, that number 32 has been a very popular one on the show today. That number has been very, very popular for a great reason, right? And I would say that if Bo Jackson played a little bit longer, that number 34 would be right up there uh, with him. But it's funny, every time I see any running back with a 32 or a 34, I automatically think of Marcus Allen and Bo Jackson. And I know that there's been multiple Raiders, including right now, that are wearing those two numbers. And I always you know, think of, of uh, Marcus Allen and Bo. And then number eight and 24, both numbers of the, both of those numbers are, are retired and hanging in the rafters there with the Lakers when it comes to Kobe Bryant. Uh, that dude made two numbers legendary, <laughs> right? I mean, that's how good that player was. That guy was fantastic. Uh, just a hell of a dude, hell of a story. I really, I think I became a bigger Kobe fan later on in his career. It wasn't even early on. Uh, I was a big Shaquille O'Neal guy, and of course they had the beef, and I was angry because uh, I thought Shaq and Kobe could have ran the NBA for years, but Kobe wanted to do it his way, and I kind of didn't like that at first, but after I really started paying attention and really learning his story, I really could grow to appreciate uh, the guy that was Kobe Bryant, that of course, as you mentioned, 99, the great one. I mean, <laughs> the name alone says it all. That says everything you need to know. 99, the great one, the great Wayne Gretzky. So good stuff. Keep those uh, Keep those numbers and those conversations coming on the don'tbebroke.com text line at 69187, keyword R&R. And, of course, when we don't have a guest, you can hit us up at 702-365-9200 as we are efforting uh, with Patrick Walker. We got it. We got the thumbs up now. Okay, good deal. Patrick Walker, Cowboys.com. He's been covering the game of football for a very long time. I like to consider this guy my brother. I call him my brother because, well, he's been rocking with me for a long time. And, Patrick, man, first, before we even get into the podcast, and I'm excited about this conversation, we've been having a jersey number conversation, you know, and, and just like what people's favorite numbers were growing up. You've been covering sports for a long time, playing sports. What was your favorite number growing up and why? Honestly, my favorite number has always been uh, 13, and and that's because it tends to be the most unlucky number as far as what people kind of, uh, uh, you know, how they attach it. You know, they, they say 13 is unlucky, and that's why some hotels don't have a 13th floor and things like that. Yeah. But for me as, a, as an athlete and as a competitor – that made me love the number 13 that much more. And, and here's why, Q, because it strikes fear into people, right? Yeah. That's why hotels don't have a 13th floor, because everybody's afraid to stay on the 13th floor. That's why people don't like the number 13, because they're scared that it's bad news. And whenever I was on the field, the baseball diamond, the basketball court, when I was running track and field, I always wanted to be the person that everybody was scared of. So I wanted to wear the number 13. 
I love it. I, I would have never guessed that, but I love it. That's a great breakdown right there. I'm, I'm gonna, when I see Hunter Renfro, I'm going to ask him. I'm going to say, hey, you know, I had this great breakdown at number 13. What do you think? And I want to see what he says. That's fantastic, Patrick. And that's – look, that's just part of the reason why we have you on the show, for dropping those kind of gems like that. But I did I, – in all seriousness, man, I wanted to talk to you about your podcast, The Conversation, and that's Conversation with the K because there is no C. And on your tweet Absolutely. it says, my mental health podcast – is a literal lifetime in the making. And if the war inside of my own mind can help, can somehow save you from yours, it won't be in vain. And it debuts on Memorial Day, which is next Monday. As you mentioned, it's been a lifetime in the making, but how did it all come together as you decided to put it into podcast form at this point? Well, for me, and, and this is me being completely open and vulnerable to just the world in general, um, literally this has been a lifetime of my experiences that experiences that have molded me and, and brought me to this point. And this is something the podcast is. It's something that I've been wanting to do for years now. But to be frank with you, Q, um, I was stuck and trapped in, in the stigma of, you know, cause not only am I someone who, who battles for my mental health on a daily basis, you know, uh, combats depression and combats anxiety, but I'm a man that does it, and I'm a black man that does it. And, you know, as you can relate, we're brought up in um, environments where we're told that it's weakness for you to express your feelings. It's, it's weakness for you to seek help. It's weakness for you to speak on these types of things. And I was so trapped in that stigma that I, I realized recently that those trappings mentally and those things I needed to unlearn were the reasons that I was not doing the podcast, which means those were the reasons I wasn't using my um, life experiences and my testimony to help others. And, and that just, that's not okay. That's not okay. It's, uh, I started to feel a guilt behind that. So I actually used that guilt constructively and kind of forced myself to dig deeper into myself and say, hey, you know what, uh, if you can just save one person's life by showing them that, hey, you're not going through this alone, what you're experiencing, there are others experiencing it. And then with the platform that I've been blessed to be able to build up, uh, a lot of times people, um, it, it hits them differently when they see someone that they kind of look up to saying, wow, he goes through it as well. She goes through it as well. Mm -hmm. So I want to be able to be a channel for that. And that's what the conversation is about. It, it's welcome. Everyone is welcome because the issues that we're dealing with absolutely transcend race, gender, political agenda and whatever else we choose to try to allow us to divide ourselves as humans on a daily basis. At the end of the day, we're all going through things. We're all going through stresses. We all suffer uh, and, and need to grieve and process. And um, the conversation is quite literally me, just a man who's been through the ringer, uh, a survivor of multiple suicide attempts. And as I mentioned, I battle depression and anxiety on a daily basis. I have my ups have my great days. Today's been a great day. I'm having a great day. Tomorrow might not be a great day. Uh, but the conversation is about me being willing to have uh, to open myself up to the world on either one of those days and say, hey, this is what I'm going through. This is my coping mechanism. Seeking coping mechanisms. We'll have guests that come on, those that have some alternative methods of dealing with stress and depression and anxiety, PTSD, especially with Memorial Day coming up. But we also have clinical psychiatrists that are coming on, those that are medically licensed to have these conversations. Um, so it's going to kind of um, span the, the gamut on what we talk about, because at the end of the day, uh, it's really just about relating 
to someone else who's dealing with the same things that you're dealing with. And I just kind of want to be a channel for that. Yeah, there's no, there's no doubt. And it's obviously needed in a major way. And, again, we're talking with Patrick Walker. We're talking about the podcast, The Conversation, all dealing with mental health. And, Patrick, I've been rocking with you for a long time. I've heard you speak on mental health before, so I know that this is something that is near and dear to your heart. But for a lot of people that watch and read your work on Cowboys.com, they're like, oh, this guy is so knowledgeable in football. He's got the Cowboys covered. He's got the NFL covered. So they don't know. How, how difficult is it to identify when maybe someone, a loved one near you is going through some things and you don't know it? But, like, how do you identify someone that could be going through something? Well, it's, it's about, you know, communication. And a lot of times, you know, the, the problem is, and, and I, can, I can speak on this from an empathy standpoint, uh, it's not always easy to recognize the signs of depression. Um, and, unfortunately, so often, just not only in this country but around the world, there are families who are, who are dealing and grieving with the loss of a loved one who uh, to suicide because uh, they feel like they missed the signs. And, and you're not always going to see the signs because if that particular individual is, is very proficient at masking them, then good luck with that. So mm-hmm. at the end of the day, what you can do as a, a family member, what you can do as a friend, what you can do um, just as a neighbor is have conversations with those that are close to you because Sometimes it's as simple as asking, how are you today? Uh, because you, you may not know, but there are a lot of people who don't get asked that question. Uh, and so that door is never open for them to communicate and vent what they might be going through. Uh, it might be as simple as, you know, giving a person uh, an affirmation saying, hey, you're great. You're doing great. Um, because the smallest thing might get them to kind of soften uh, that, that mental defense that they have. And they might be able to open up to you. So ultimately, it's about letting uh, the person next to you know, whomever that person might be, hey, I don't know if you're going through something or if you're not going through something, but I just want you to know that I'm here to listen if you ever want to talk. And you'd be surprised how often that will result in a conversation. And no pun intended, that's the reason why I call this this podcast The Conversation, because it's, like I said in in the mantra for for the podcast, uh, Q, Silence invites tragedy. Words invite healing. Sometimes it's really just about speaking and letting someone know that, hey, I don't know what you're going through, but I just want you to know if you're ready, if you're ready to talk, I'm ready to listen. It's very important words right there. Again, Patrick Walker is our guest here on Radio Nation Radio 920. My man demond has got one for you. Yeah, Patrick, you touched on it a little bit there in your last answer, but how do you get people to open up when it's just like, or how willing are people to open up and you and yourself and your personal experience about Hey, guys, when, when someone says, hey, how's your day going? Most of us, we just think, hey, that's just going to be a quick, hey, they're just asking that because it's, you know, it's the thing to do where your coworker asks or a friend asks, hey, man, what's up? But you don't want to open up too much. So how has it been for you to get people to open up to you more? It, it's, that's a two-way street, and that's a fantastic question. It's a two-way street. So as much as the conversation uh, is about uh, me speaking to those who are also dealing with mental health struggles. It's it's speaking to those who may not be dealing with them at that particular moment, because let's be clear, you're not going to live on this planet um, long, X amount of years and not have to deal with a mental health issue. So if you make it past the age of five, four or five, you're probably going to run into a mental health, mental health issue. So as adults, we've all struggled and we're all struggling at different points. But my point being, if you're in a situation where you're not necessarily the one struggling, um, it's, you need to be able to recognize how to communicate to someone that is struggling because speaking from my standpoint, I don't do well when you pull me. 
And there are a lot of people who are the same. So if you're trying to pull something out of me, you're decreasing the chances of you actually getting what you're looking for. I respond, personally speaking, I respond much better to an open dialogue and you letting me know, hey, when you're ready to talk, I'm here. So you're going to have your, you know, your general pleasantries, the, hey, how are you doing? And yes, let's be honest, some of those are just going to be generic and it's just, you know, the polite societal thing to do. But what you shouldn't do as someone who's battling depression or anxiety or anything like that, never assume that's the case. So it it may not be upon you at the moment to say, hey, all they did was ask me how I was doing, that I don't know that they're going to, that they actually care. Or see, now you're justifying remaining internal as opposed to opening up. Because opening up, there's not, there's not much bad that can happen. Okay, let's say uh, your neighbor comes up to you and they say, hey, how are you doing today? And you feel like you overshare. Well, if that were the case, you'll see signs that you're oversharing from your neighbor because they might get a little uncomfortable, a little awkward. But see, this is where the conversation splits into two paths. Addressing the neighbor, the neighbor needs to understand exactly how difficult it is for you to be able to share in the first place, let alone overshare. So it's, it's respecting the boundaries in both directions. And you're going to have to kind of feel it out. But the worst thing you can do is assume that no one cares, regardless of what they say to you. So if 10 people come to you and they say, hey, how are you doing? Somebody in that group cares. But if you assume none of them care and you assume that all 10 of them are simply being polite, you're doing yourself a great disservice because the help that you needed is somewhere in that bunch. That's why you can't you can't shut the door to the entire bunch. And if that means that you accidentally overshare with persons one, two, three, and four, and it doesn't necessarily go the way you want, continue to stay open to help because person number six, I guarantee you, that's the one that might save your life. And something else I want to ask you about is when it comes to seeking out mental health professionals, because I've dealt with these issues that, you, that you've alluded to with yourself as well. So where do you, where's that fine line of, hey, I can talk to my friend or a sibling and I can feel a little bit better, but there are still these issues and now I need to take that next step and see a professional? You will actually feel that within yourself. And, and this is also going to be key. And I want everyone to understand that um, when they tune into the conversation, one of the first things that, that I will lead with on every single episode is I am not a mental health professional. I am someone who struggles with it. This is the purpose of, of the podcast. This is why I'm here, to be relatable so we can have these conversations on that level. But that's why I'm also inviting, and I've already penciled in several guests, and some of those are clinical psychiatrists and clinical counselors and those who are licensed in the field. And the reason I'm doing that is because even though I'm an, uh, an open ear to you and, and those others who suffer, I recognize that there's a limit to what I can provide to you. At a certain point, you're going to have to get uh, another resource involved. And, and that's where the listener needs to understand at what point in what they're hearing does there need to be that line to say, hey, thank you for sharing that with me, but I think it's time to move into uh, bringing someone in. And a perfect example of that would be, and Q, you mentioned it, I've been very passionate about mental health for a very long time, mm-hmm. especially on Twitter, kind of getting that word out. And my DMs have always been open to getting um, to having those conversations. And there have been several conversations that have unfortunately gotten to the point where this particular person or that particular person began to genuinely contemplate suicide. And I know what those signs are because I'm a survivor of it. So I've been, I've been to that cliff before. Mm -hmm. Um, So when it gets to that point, 
that's when I say, as the as a listener, as an open ear, I say, hey, it's time to bring someone in, and then you start adding resources. So as the person who's suffering, keep an eye on um, on what that person that you're speaking, on who that person you're speaking to, keep an eye on what they can or can't do, because you also don't want to overwhelm them. So if you if you feel like the next thing you're about to say is going to be, you know, unfortunately, hopefully not, but if it's that particular thing that you feel may be too heavy for them, just kind of preface it. Say, hey, this next thing I'm going to tell you, uh, I don't know how you're going to take this, but here we go. And you put it out there and you gauge their reaction. And if their reaction is not exactly pleasant, then that might be an indication that it's time to bring in a professional. And for me, that's how I ended up in therapy in the first place. Uh, and I'm in therapy as we speak now. It finally took me, going back to what I was saying, a man and a man of color. That's a lot of taboos to overcome. Mm-hmm. But I finally bit the bullet and said, I can't do this by myself. I can't um, do this even with my support system. My support system is fantastic, but they are limited as well. Sooner or later, you have to bring in a professional depending on what the um, the severity of your mental health struggle might be. And not everyone needs therapy. So I'm right. not here to say, hey, everyone in the world needs therapy, but a lot of us do. And those of us that do need to have the internal strength to look in the mirror and say, hey, this is how I can probably save my life. And keep in mind, not only do those around you need you, but you need you. And every decision you make, good or bad, left or right, you're going to impact both yourself and your loved ones. And as a family man, uh, and, and I have children, I look at them every day and they help me kind of push forward. So find your motivation, find the support system. Um, and even if your support system is going to start with the conversation, I promise you, if you subscribe, it won't be where it ends because I'm going to keep throwing resources at you uh, to make sure that you are good as many days as you can be good, but not every day because that's not realistic. So even on those bad days that you're struggling, I got you. He is Patrick Walker. You can find him on Twitter at Voice of the Star. And, you know, you're talking about resources, and uh, I'm, I'm so gla- grateful for this, this segment. I think it's, it's very helpful for a lot of people out there listening. But for someone that looks and says, well, you know, professional help, I, I don't know. They might look at me a little, you know, funny style if I say that I need professional help. What, what would be the answer or response that you would give them, Patrick? You don't label your, your intent. Don't label your intent. I call that labeling the intent when it's, you know, I know what I need to do, but I'm afraid of the label that gets put on what I need to do. So instead of saying, you know, outwardly, well, I'm going to seek professional help. You don't have to label it as such. You're simply seeking help. Mm -hmm. Just keep it in that particular, you know, uh, description, because once you start saying professional help, then you start, in my experience, you find yourself battling those same taboos and and stigmas that you were trying your best to snap out of and to unlearn and unlearning is a process because keep in mind childhood legally lasts 17 to 18 years in the united states right so for that let's say 17 years the majority of that 17 years you are being taught things and those things that you're being taught you're being taught by your parents or whomever your guardians might have been or whatever the the situation might be, but the people teaching you, they might not understand that they don't wholly believe what they're teaching, but since they were taught it, they're going to teach it the same way. And that's what we call generational curses, right? So if you find yourself in a situation where you're terrified of getting help because it's professional help, because if you tell anyone that you're getting professional help, particularly in communities of color, you're crazy. 
right? right? Mm-hmm. What are you doing? That and, and part of my language, but for those uh, in color, you you know this. Oh, well, that's white people stuff. Well, no, no, because last I checked, everybody has a brain, and everybody that has a brain has a mind, and everybody that has a mind struggles with stress and struggles with things that knock them on their backside, and they have to climb, get away, get up from. So. I'm very passionate about this because I want people to understand that seeking professional help is not a weakness. Seeking help, period, is not a weakness. It is a strength. It is the thing that will save your life. A weakness, the weakness, the weakness is the lie that you allow yourself to tell yourself about seeking help. If you allow yourself to sit there and be depressed and be anxious and you never want to step outside into society and 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 put a hand out and say, hey, could you please just sit down with me? I have something I want to talk to you about. That is courage. It takes courage to step outside of yourself to seek help. The weakness is you sitting in a dark room allowing yourself to spiral to what could ultimately be your demise and what was ultimately my demise on three separate occasions. So when I say I know what it feels like to shut yourself in and over-internalize and take on far more than you need to, because you've been told that that's what defines strength, you were lied to. So it's time to start telling ourselves the truth, because until we do, we will not seek the help we need, and we will not make it as individuals, and most certainly not as a society. Patrick, I've got to ask you, when it comes to going and seeking help for yourself personally, how long did it take for you to realize, hey, this is benefiting me, these are these steps are beneficial? Because for me, I had one therapy session for myself last year, and after that one, I, I said to myself, ah, this is kind of stupid, never went back. But for you, how long did it take you to say, hey, man, this is good for me, and I'm, and I'm getting the tools that I need to help myself going forward? It took a long time, and... I've not been as consistent with it as I need to be. This is me being open, honest, transparent, and, and vulnerable. I will be 43 in July. It took me, uh, my third suicide attempt, thankfully, was over 15 years ago, but I didn't go into my first therapy session until I was around 36, I want to say. Now, by that time, I had already attempted suicide three times. Now, I, I think back and I wonder if I would have even had one attempt, if I had started therapy at 18 or 19 or something like that, but hindsight is 2020 foresight is what matters most. But I started at around 35, 36, I had two or three sessions and I found myself judging myself in the session, which is exactly Mm -hmm. what you did. So instead of listening actively to what the counselor and the therapist was telling me and, and trying to get me to open up and talk about, some of my complexes and struggles and my cognitions that were created because of certain things that happened in my childhood, half of me was talking and the other half of me silently was judging myself. What are you doing here? Why are you sitting? What what are they going to tell you that you don't already know? This is ridiculous. Are you really paying $75 for this? And what would you, if your mom found out about this, what about your brother? If your brother found out about this, oh, he's going to clown you into oblivion. I'm judging myself as I'm in there supposedly seeking help. And that is a huge detriment. When you go into therapy, go in there with the complete open mind, go in there being non-judgmental of yourself because the therapist is there to help you, not to judge you. So why are you judging you? You're judging you based on your experiences and your environment and the people that you're around. And ultimately, and I'll be very clear on this, if you're worried about the people around you judging you for seeking help, surround yourself with new people. Right. Facts. Period. Yep. And and ultimately, I've been I started therapy. I judged myself for the first couple of sessions. And like you, I stopped and I stopped for about a year and a half. 
and I fell back into the darkness. Now, outwardly, couldn't tell because career-wise, I was still progressing. This because I was throwing myself into my career to avoid having to deal with myself on a daily basis internally. I always had to be doing something. So it's beautiful for your career because you're grinding, you're grinding, but you're dying on the inside. So about two years of that, I finally got back into it because I woke up one morning and I couldn't get out of bed and I couldn't eat. I had no appetite for about a week. Uh, prior to that, I was losing weight and I found myself being paranoid and, you know, I was just a, a terrible person to be around outside of work. So I could put the mask on at work, but when I got home, I was destroying relationships. I wasn't the father I wanted to be. So ultimately, I got back into therapy and I've been back in ever since. Man, it's a hell of a story. Hell of a testimony right there. That's just a sample size of what you're going to get from the conversation. Again, the podcast by Patrick Walker dropping starting on Memorial Day as uh, as Mental Health Awareness Month gets wrapped up. But, uh, Patrick, I'm so glad that you're putting this project together because, again, I know I've been rocking with you for a long time. You've been talking about this. And I'll t- I can tell you by our text messages that we're receiving how important just the conversation we've had today has already been a, a big impact on a lot of people's lives. So, again, at voice of the star and the podcast drops on memorial day get it anywhere you can get your podcast anything else you want to tell us about the show that we should expect listen i just want to thank you q thank you guys for having me on giving me a platform to to help um promote this and i I just this is my baby this is something that i'm ultimately passionate about so primarily ladies and gentlemen if you download the patreon app uh search for the conversation with a k or if you are on your laptop or desktop go to patreon.com search for it also the youtube channel uh is youtube.com backslash patrick walker conversation and it's patrick with no c um and i just thank you ladies and gentlemen the debut episode like you said it's going to be on memorial day i've already got at least one guest i'm working on another guest and um the focus on that one so apropos to memorial day it's going to be uh, the issue of PTSD and, and uh, surviving veterans, the transition from tour to normal life um, as a soldier. And that's the first conversation we're going to have. And we're going to have it on Memorial Day. And from there, we're going to grow it out and expand out from there. So please, please, please tune in. And even if you don't tune in, if you never watch an episode of The Conversation, if you never follow uh, me for resources, just find help. And if you're contemplating suicide, please dial either 911 or 988, and 988 is the Suicide Crisis and Lifeline line uh, number. So please seek help, even if it's not through me. Hey, fantastic stuff, man. We're going to have to do this again, really are. I mean, like I said, it's been a very helpful conversation for a lot of folks out there. Patrick, thanks so much for sharing your time, and uh, you, I'll be locked in on Monday, that's for sure. Hey, blessings to you, brothers. I'll talk to you soon. All right, there he goes. Patrick Walker, fantastic stuff. Again, you can find him on Twitter at Voice of the Star. That's Patrick with no C. Patrick Walker, he works for Cowboys.com. He's worked for CBS. He's worked for Bleacher Report. He does fantastic work covering the NFL. But I think the work that he just did in the last 25 minutes with us here on Raider Nation Radio meant so much more to him, and I know it meant so much more to us. So many thanks to Patrick Walker. Uh, right now, before we take a quick break, I know we went a little overtime. Sorry about that, Damon. Uh, call number nine is what we're looking for right now. You want to get tickets to the Aces and uh, Minnesota Lynx, they play on Sunday at Michelob Ultra Arena. Uh, we've got them for you right now, 702-365-9200. Call number nine is what we're looking for. It's Radio Nation Radio 920.